born in the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends But when I'm attacked I protect and defend Because my name is America Hello everyone and welcome. This is Karen Schoen and you are listening to The Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Um, We've been talking about the Alliance. Please get involved with the micro schools and get your kids out of those indoctrination clinics that are teaching them nothing other than lies. And today we're going to talk about some of those lies. I believe that America is in the final stages of being taken over by the Marxist, communist, Democrat rhinos. First, in the beginning, it was a war of definitions. So these, this group had to go and change all the definitions of the words that we were familiar with so that they could go back and teach what they wanted to and take over the schools. And now our schools have become nothing other than the indoctrination of carrying forward their message. And once they completed affirmative action, what happened was they ensured that the populace would be dumb and be tolerant. Remember, everything was based on tolerance and political correctness. And what is that really? It became censorship. So we were assuring that the people would censor themselves and not say what they thought to be true and never go against what the group was putting in in front of them. The populace would never buck up and say, no, that's not right. No, we can't do that. And then, of course, they added money. So they started paying off people to say exactly what narrative they wanted to say. So one thing we've learned about these people is that they have no problem lying, looking right at you, looking at your face, and forcing you into a belief system that you know in your heart is false but you feel powerless to challenge. You feel that in order to survive, you have to buy into their lies and change life into something that you no longer recognize. And in this final phase of communism, if you don't believe their skewed ideas, the ramification on you can be devastating. You could lose your business, you could lose your land, you could lose your family, your country, and most of all, you could lose your freedom. So it's up to us to recognize their lies and call them out whenever we hear them. It's no longer safe to be part of the silent majority because if you are, they'll put you in jail anyway. Their goal is to have you be involved in a solution that can never work because when you base a problem on a lie, the solution can't work either. But what do they tell us? Oh, we just need more money. If we just had more time, if you elect us again, we know we'll make it right. And in the end, we are forced to give up our freedom. Over time, we have learned that using the climate 
has become their sole purpose because we are all involved in some way, shape, or form with the climate. It affects everybody. So what more perfect thing than using the climate and blaming it and all of its failings on us? So they do things like showing us pictures of polar ice caps in the summer when they're melting and then say, oh my gosh, the polar ice caps are melting. Well, of course they're gonna melt, it's summer, but they don't tell you that part. They'll show you a graph and they'll show you a little piece of that graph, which is really not true at all. But if you put it in the bigger picture, it doesn't fit their narrative because yes, we may have had many storms this year, but we also had storms many times in years before. And I believe what has happened is we have become so involved in their lies that we are almost unable to see the truth. And when that happens, it's devastating. So I have asked one of my favorite climate people who wrote an incredible article on how climate is really a one-sided religious story. Now, that's very interesting, equating the climate to a religious cult. Sterling Burnett from the Heartland Institute has agreed to join me today and explain what he means by how is climate actually becoming a religion. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sterling. It's always wonderful to have you on. Thanks for having me on again, Karen. So I'd like to take credit for the statement, the title of my, you know, the statement in the title of my article, one-sided religious story. And in fact, more than 10 years ago, I actually wrote that climate science had become a religion. It was not science. And I'll explain why in a second. But that quote is actually from Jordan Peterson, a psychologist from Canada, who is being censored. There's Orwellian thought police in Canada. If you're a minister, you can't preach what you believe the Bible says uh, using the words of the Bible that is that can get you locked up in jail and, and has. And he's a, a psychologist, but he's become a popular speaker. And he was on a podcast uh, with Joe Rogan, fairly popular podcaster, I guess. I don't, I don't listen to podcasts much. Uh, I know he's popular. And he was on Joe Rogan's podcast and um, they start talking about climate change, and he said it's become a one-sided uh, religious belief. The sanctioning body for psychologists in, uh, uh, I believe, Ontario, uh, yeah, the College of Psychologists of Ontario, they reprimanded. He, now, mind you, he wasn't speaking as a psychologist. He wasn't counseling anyone. This was not part of his professional practice. He was speaking his own private thoughts based on his assessment of the evidence uh, and he's looked into it because many of his uh, he's seeing uh, use come in with problems saying, oh, the climate, the world's going to end. The world's going to end. So on this private podcast, I mean, on this public podcast, the private citizen, he said that he thought it was one side of religious doctrine. He explained that the world is not coming to an end. You know, he cited facts. Uh, imagine that. He said that we've adapted to climate change in the past and we can adapt to this one if it is, if it does become uh, a serious thing. But right now it's not. Weather isn't getting worse. And for that, the College of Psychologists, they reprimanded him and they told him that he must undergo re-education at the hands of a social media expert that they choose for an indefinite period of time at his own expense. And if he refused to do so, they threatened to pull his license. That sounds like the Inquisition to me. It sounds like straight out of Orwell. 
And this was just one of a number of things that's happened recently that shows me more and more that climate change has become a doctrinaire religion. A journal, a European journal published an article about a year and a half ago in which the uh, Italian scientists, uh, from they were both uh, meteorologists and uh, physicists, they um, published a paper in this journal it went through peer review, got published. They came to the conclusion based on real data, and they looked at the data, that a climate crisis wasn't in evidence yet. They looked at tornadoes and hurricanes and drought and wildfires. They looked at all these different things, and they said, look, none of these things are getting worse. Crops are, are booming. Uh, hurricanes aren't getting worse. And so, but it, they, they did it based on data, not computer models. So fact, it got published. No one cared about it because it was a small journal in Europe until an Australian politician mentioned it in a speech. Then the Australian news media took notice. Then the European news media took notice, including the Guardian and agency France Press. And that brought it to the attention of climate scolds in the U.S. Particularly a few climate scientists have been known to... Uh, suppress inconvenient data in the past during the climate gate scandal and put pressure on editors and the under pressure from these climate scientists in the media, the journal pulled the paper after it had been published for a year and a half. And they said they were pulling it not because any facts were wrong, not because they used any bad data. They said concerns were raised regarding the selection of data, the analysis and the resulting conclusions of this article as if, Every scientific article ever published hasn't had concerns raised about it or disputes. But based on that, they pulled the paper. It had already been cited in 40 other papers, uh, downloaded thousands of times. It's intellectual cowardice is what it was. And then another paper came out that was published in uh, Nature, one of the top science journals. It was about wildfires in, in, in uh, California, and it, it claimed that wildfires... Uh, increased uh, the frequency by 25% of wildfire growth. How fast they grew, 25% due to climate change. Days after it came out, the lead author published an article in a journal called uh, The Free Press. And uh, he said, now, he, I don't know if you remember Paul Harvey, but he said, the other side of the story. Yes, uh, we do. Yeah. So he said the other side of the story. Well, Patrick Brown, uh, he's a professor at, San Jose State University at John Hopkins University and works at the Breakthrough Institute. He wrote, this is the name of the article, left out the full truth to get climate change paper published. So, so he actually out... admitted that in his article, he left out all the facts just yeah, yeah, so yeah. that he could get this his is, article published. This is the first sentence. He and his co-authors. Now, I don't know how his co-authors feel about him revealing this, but he says, I just got published in Nature because I stuck to a narrative. I knew the editors would like. That's not the way science should work. The paper I just published, Climate Warming Increases Extreme Daily Wildfire Growth in California, focuses exclusively on how climate change has affected extreme wildfire behavior. I knew not to try and quantify key aspects other than climate change in my research because it would dilute the story that prestigious journals like Nature and its rival science want to tell. And he explains that this is important because, you know, you want to get published for your, your resume, for tenure, that these journals have made it clear that they don't want to publish skeptical papers. And so he, he ends with, to put it bluntly, climate science has become less about understanding the complexities of the world and more about serving as a, a kind of Cassandra 
urgently warning the public about the dangers of climate change. So he left out factors like poor forest management, the increasing number of people who started wildfires, which he mentions are over 80% of wildfires in the U.S. are ignited by humans, either through arson or neglect. You know, campfires getting out of control, people burning trash getting out of control. And it ignored other factors like people in communities building homes and businesses in entire towns and historically in, in areas historically prone to seasonal wildfires. So they left out all this to get published. That tells you the peer review process is corrupt. It and any, any, any claims of consensus, you know, they keep claiming 97% consensus. And how do they do this? They say, oh, we went and counted all the journal articles and all of them agree. 97% agree. Humans are causing dangerous climate change. Well, if you pull articles that dispute it, or if you tailor your articles specifically to get published, so you must say that, then that makes a mockery of the idea that there's consensus. And, you know, during the, the Climategate scandal, uh, Dr. Phil Jones uh, said this in, in an email to Michael Mann. He said, I can't see either of these papers in the next IPCC report. Kevin Trenberth, uh, Kevin, who is Kevin Trenberth, and I will keep them out somehow, even if we have to redefine what the peer review literature is. So they are being paid off to write these articles because that's how they get published. And well, get I, I, it's published. not money. It's not money. It may be research dollars for some of these guys, but but Mr. Brown just points out, look, you're a, a young climate scientist. You're in meteorology, you're in phys climate physics, you know, atmospheric physics, whatever. And you want tenure. You want to have a job. You, you want to be employed. And you know what it takes to get tenure. That's getting published. And if getting published means you hew to the uh, party line, then you hew to the party line. Or you find yourself unemployed and unemployable. That's, that's where we stand. You are disciplined if you go outside of the consensus. I mean, look look what happened to Jordan Peterson. He's not even publishing. He he was on a podcast. They said we're going to take your license unless you go through re-education at your own expense. So Sterling, from what you're saying, all of this hype about heat waves and temperature rising and uh how the man is responsible and that what can we do about it? Is it all a lie? Well, no, no, that's not exactly what I'm saying. We do have heat waves. They're just not worse than they were in the past. Uh, <laughs> we have a hurricane season that's not over yet. Uh, but so far, uh, compared to some historic hurricane seasons, it's not as bad as the past. And in fact, what the long-term data shows is that hurricane numbers are down. And severe hurricane, the number of severe hurricanes, class three and above, are down. So, uh, and crops, they're not failing. In fact, crop production and crop yield increasing dramatically, setting records year over year. So you pick your climate alarm claim and it turns out it's either false, like with hurricanes, they're not getting worse, or wildfires, it turns out they're not getting worse if you look at historic data. Uh, but it's, that doesn't mean that that hurricanes aren't occurring or wildfires aren't occurring. It just means that climate change isn't making a crisis. So temperatures have risen. There's no question about that. Temperatures have risen about 
uh, a degree or to a degree and a half since the end of the last ice age. I mean, a little ice age, I'm sorry, mini ice age. And so, you know, so starting around 1850, 1870, temperatures started to rise and that started increasing CO2 a little bit because that's what happens after temperatures rise. And um, so temperatures are going up now. Are they at some dangerous level? No, not historically. Have humans contributed to it? Probably a little bit. We've added a lot of CO2 to the atmosphere. Uh, it is a greenhouse gas. But A, is it are they, we responsible for a majority of the warming? I don't think we can say that with confidence. Uh, and is the warming bad? I think we can say with pretty much good confidence right now. No. In fact, historically warm periods, periods like today in the past, have been when human civilizations have thrived, not cooler periods. So it's the disaster part of the claims, not climate change itself that's the problem. Climate changes. It always has. It's the claim that this particular round of climate change is due to humans and is dangerous I would suppose because it's due to humans, because they don't seem to care when nature changes climate. They only care when humans do. And humans don't play nearly the amount of, of problems that nature does. I mean, I, of one volcano, what does that do? And, and how can a human go and stop a volcano? I don't think they make a cork big enough to be able to stop one. So, if nature is doing all of this horrific uh, things to the earth, what can humans do about it other than really prepare? Shouldn't our government be teaching us how to prepare and live within these uh, things that happen during nature and maybe not allow people to put their homes right on the ocean when they know that we may have a storm and the area may flood? Wouldn't that be well, a harder thing to do than telling uh, humans it's your fault and restricting uh, everything that they can think of as a result of uh, telling humans that it's our it's our problem that a hurricane is happening? I don't I don't understand how that could happen. Well, I just want to say, <laughs> look, I'm not I'm not in favor of government telling people what to do with their property if they own property on the beach. And they want to build a house there. I think it's, you know, it's it, depending on where the beach is, um, it's pretty unwise. Uh, but then I wouldn't have bought property there. Um, my point would be, if they're going to do that, they should be responsible for the, you know, when the damage comes, it's on them. It's not on the government. It's not on taxpayers. You chose to live. You, you chose to move to the nuisance, to where hurricanes are. And when the damage comes, you're responsible for whatever the costs are. We're not bailing you out. You chose to live in the mountains uh, in, a, in a place that's prone to wildfires. Uh, now, government does have a, a role, especially since they own so much of the West and, and, and uh, they lock up these national forests. They used to lock. They used to take timber out. They used to manage the forest actively. They stopped doing that. They said, let nature take its course. So that's government's fault when wildfires start. But if you build a house there uh, because you want to be near nature and then wildfires come in a place where wildfires are prone, well, once again, that's on you. That's not on the taxpayers. And it's certainly not on climate change because wildfires have always happened there. 
I don't think they tell people that uh, wildfires have happened in this area or what. That's what I meant. They're not. If they would prepare the people in the beginning, if they would teach the right things in school and the people would know, then their decision making of where to buy land might be different. But they're not being told the truth. I don't know. I don't know. Look, if you're in California and you've ever watched the news at all. You know, wildfires happen in the forest of California. You know it. Every year they have headlines. They have stories. You know you're building in a place prone to wildfires. If you move to to Florida's uh, coast, Florida is the most prone to hurricane strikes of any state in the nation. If at this stage in your life you move there, you knew hurricanes hit there. The government shouldn't have to tell, to tell you hurricanes strike in Florida. It's everywhere. So I, I'm uh, the government can set standards for building codes. Um, they can do all sorts of things, but at some point you have to put a little responsibility on people. Well, that's what I meant. If if the kids would learn in school that hurricanes hit in Florida and Florida is prone to hurricanes, then maybe as they became adults, their thought process might be, oh, well, I learned that in school, so maybe that's not a good idea. But by eliminating that thought in school and skewing what they're learning to begin with, then as they get to become adults, they don't have that knowledge. Yes, they have it, but they don't equate it. They don't look at uh, the results of what the uh, what a hurricane might be. What could be the results if I put my house there? They don't look at cause and effect. They don't look at that because they're not taught that skill. So well, that was what I was saying. Yeah, getting to education is a education's a big issue, and education is uh, the way it's conducted now. Uh, you know, the national. Uh, the next generation science standards that's adopted in, I think, 45 or 48 states, they don't even, they have removed mention, they only, no, I'm sorry, they only mention once the scientific method, and then they denigrate it. That's they have, a, they have a whole section on equity. Right. They don't teach critical thinking. Well, that's thinking. that was really what I was driving yeah. at. If they're not taught the scientific yeah. method, and they don't know that every uh, cause has an effect, and every effect has uh, a result that could be good or bad, but you have to be able to analyze that. If that thought process is missing, then it's very hard to make decisions. Well, if they're not taught to think for themselves and to weigh evidence and balance, critical thinking is key. You can't question authority if you're not taught how to think, how to how to analyze arguments. And critical thinking is key, and it's key to progress. You know, you opened with this um, with your statements concerning um, what they're what 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 you think the you called them the you had a long name communist rhino democrat you know whatever uh, the elite what the elite are trying to get away with and uh you know their solution is live with less not us mind you but the rest of you guys um and i think it's sort of a final solution because 
what they really are behind, if you read what they say repeatedly, is that population is the problem and we've got to have fewer people. And so yes. I think one of the reasons that they are actively, actively creating psychological problems for kids and worrying kids is so kids will give up on the idea of having children and it's working. Yes, you're right. And that's very sad. And Sterling, we're coming to the end of our segment. So I'm going to ask you if you'll come back again, because I always enjoy talking to you. This is so important, folks. It is so important that your kids learn to think and that you get them out of these public schools. So uh, please tell everyone where they can find you and your fabulous articles. Well, go to www.heartland.org. Sign up for my Climate Change Weekly. Sign up. Uh, go daily to climaterealism.com uh, to see the latest refutation of uh, alarming and false climate stories in the mainstream media. Uh, and check us out at, uh, if, you, if you want a good education on climate change, a simple education on climate change, one that's accessible to anyone, go to climateataglance.com and read the uh, one and two page articles there on different scientific topics. Thank you so much for joining me, folks. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Karen Schoen. This is the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance, and their fabulous program of micro schools, which will help you get your kids out of those indoctrination clinics where I promise you they will learn nothing. Be right back, folks. Don't go away. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. 
Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back. This is Karen Schoen, and you are listening to the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance, and their magnificent program called the Micro School. It is so important that you get your kids out of those indoctrination clinics masquerading as public schools. They are learning nothing, and that is the sad part. They get into their life, and they have no knowledge, no facts, nothing behind it, and then they are subject to all of the propaganda that is going on, and they believe it. And one of the things that they have been believing is the fallacy of climate change, folks, climate changes all the time. We live on a very volatile planet and we are subject to mother nature. And I have not seen anyone in my lifetime that was able to go out and yell at a tornado and tell it not to go and to stop spinning or a hurricane and tell it not to hit Florida. It doesn't work that way. We have so many different forces of nature that come together for a variety of reasons, and that's what creates our climate. And man has very little to do about it. But in order to control us, they try to scare us. So understanding the climate and understanding what's happening is of utmost importance because then you get to say, explain to me how that happens. Show me, tell me, where are the facts? And they don't have any. Right now, we have just flipped into the fall equinox. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that the earth that is on its axis, the axis is going to change slightly and tilt slightly different. So in the Northern hemisphere, we will be moving further away from the sun as we rotate around the sun, which basically controls our weather. And that will then make the Northern hemisphere cooler. Well, what will that do with the Southern Hemisphere? That'll bring it closer to the sun, and they will be experiencing their summer. Well, summertime is when they begin to show us, oh, my goodness, the polar ice caps are melting. Well, they're supposed to melt. It's summer. That's the way it works. So as the Earth rotates around the sun and spins on its axis, so many different things happen. And luckily, in the fall equinox, it is a beautiful time of year 
because the leaves begin to change and lose their color. Why would that happen? Well, because they're moving away from the rays of the sun. And we are very fortunate. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a seminar and met a wonderful gentleman who is an electrical engineer. And guess what? He told the truth about the climate and what was going on. And I asked him to join me today. So Hank Fallick, would you please tell everyone a little bit about yourself and then some of the lies, unfortunately, that this government has been forcing upon our children who then grow up and buy into them. Thank you for joining me. Okay, Karen, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to use your a radio broadcast to educate uh, rather than indoctrinate regarding the climate and climate change. A little bit about myself. Uh, I'm an electrical engineer. Uh, I graduated in 1966 from the University of Dayton, and uh, I worked at Hewlett Packard in California uh, designing instrumentation. Uh, the instrumentation that I worked on was atomic frequency standards. Uh, while I was here with Packard, uh, I had a lab partner named Darwin, and we started a company called Andor, Hank and Darwin. And we uh, developed and produced weather instrumentation. And uh, we did this at critical time uh, back in 1972. Uh, when I sold the company in 1987, um, where microprocessors were becoming uh, an integral part of almost everything. And today, for instance, uh, we have laptop computers and computers in our car uh, that control the engine, they control almost everything in the car. So <clears throat> with the introduction of microprocessors, these standards of uh, measuring climate change dramatically. So you um, you actually were involved in measuring? Well, uh, there's a lot of factors that come into play here. Uh, before uh, automated measurements, and those were made possible by the microprocessors, the uh, climate and the climate measurements are problems. Primarily, two factors rainfall and temperature. And uh, these were measured uh, manually, and the uh, measurement techniques and instrumentation was defined by the World Meteorological Organization, the WMO. And the WMO uh, defined the measurement, the temperature measurement being made in a sleeping suite shelter, which is a wooden box that stands about six feet off the ground. It's a river painted white, and inside is a mercury thermometer. And once an hour, a weather forecaster, a weather person, would go and he would read that temperature. And he would also read uh, the amount of rain uh, in the rain gauge. Now, it's important to realize that and these instruments um, were, were dictated to be located on a grassy field, 75 feet by 75 feet. And there could not be 
So they were, in effect, using those errors to claim the different the differential in the climate without using the actual implementation of the um, equipment that you created to be able to really measure the weather. They, I'll give an example, Karen. We sold a, uh, a weather station uh, which is intended for aviation, called an aviation weather station, and uh, uh, an FBO, big space operation, at the aviation weather station. And they put it in the middle of an asphalt parking lot, and they called to tell us that the temperature measurement was really an error. Well, what were they measuring? They weren't measuring the temperature. Uh, really of the air on a grassy area, they were measuring the heat that was coming off the asphalt parking lot. And uh, that's an indication of the type of error or, or sighting error that there are um, with the measurements that are going on today. Really quite staggering to learn that all of the things that we have been taught and what our kids are learning in school is based on where a box is placed on the earth, and that's the temperature that's measured and used. And that is amazing. No wonder why they're able to get away with such ridiculous statements that they have made. Have you been able to correct those errors and show and prove the mistakes that have been made? Manhattan would be under 
average this 2006 to today is the same. And maybe they've gone down a little bit. Because there'd be no more Arctic ice. Well, in my presentation, I showed a massive picture of the Arctic ice. And there's plenty of Arctic ice up there. It's just about where it's always been. And it's maximum. Uh, also, the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, Fish and Wildlife uh, did a study that shows there's more polar bears now than there were back in 2006. And uh, people that are own real estate in Manhattan uh, can be happy because Manhattan's not underwater. Okay? So that didn't pan out. And I think our, our, our listeners can look out the window. They can look at the leaves changing on the trees, like you said, and I, I'm up in Tennessee, and I can look out my window and see that. What Al Gore called his, his climate change apocalypse didn't happen. Yet today, uh, he's, uh, he spoke at a 2023 World Economic Forum summit, and I think he's identified incorrectly. He said, we have boiling oceans, and we have climate loss. Um, once again, they're out studying, quote, uh, climate change, uh, fears, and apocalypse. And basically, it's just not happening. Well, how are they able to show us on a chart and they'll say, uh, look at this chart and the, we have the most extreme heat. We've never had that. Look at this uh, chart and then they'll show a graph and they'll show the uh, temperature and how it is much higher than it has been in the past. How are they able to do that? Uh, Karen, in my presentation, um, I showed the, um, uh, the monthly temperature variations measured by NOAA from 2006 to present. And the average of all those temperatures is based the same. However, there are months when you would have a very hot month, and then on month when you have a very cold month. And what you see is that when we have a very hot month, all these climate guys jump on the bandwagon and say, look at this, look at this, we're having a very hot month. This is a new world record. Well, is it a world record or not? Because they're not looking statistically at the average. They're looking at one data point for one month. And what I might point out is in April of this year, um, the average temperature in the U.S. was 0.67 degrees below the average. But you haven't heard that on the news. All you hear is, gee, we had a very, very long period this month, and that indicates that the climate is changing, and wow. So my point is, I'll talk 
Well, I noticed that in your um, your presentation, you mentioned four important factors that guide their so-called climate change. And that was measurement and errors, which you just discussed, but you also discussed bad science and a political agenda. And then you said that money had a lot to do with that. So maybe can you explain that a little? Okay, we just talked about the measurement errors and the fact that uh, I think a weather station today or a climate station, the actual spiking of that uh, is such that it causes huge error. So I call those measurement errors. The next is bad science. Uh, Let me give you a, a good example of bad science. We've heard it, CO2, 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 CO2. Well, we've got to get rid of CO2. You get rid of CO2, and everything that's green is going to die. That's number one. So what plant life would die if we didn't have CO2? But we go back to they show this curve of CO2 measured upon a lower. Well, there's also CO2 measurements being made at 15 different sites in Europe, and those do not agree Mauna Loa measurement. And you have to think about where's Mauna Loa? It's just on top of a volcano. Well, volcanoes emit different types of gases. But the question is, what are you really measuring? Are you really measuring the CO2? The other point is that as far as the greenhouse gases go, water vapor, CO2, are probably the biggest two contributors to global warming. Water vapor is by far 95% of global water is produced by global by the greenhouse gas called water vapor. And only uh, 3. I think 9% or 3.5% plus by CO2. Yet they want to tell us that CO2 is the biggest problem. And there's a reason. There's a reason for that. It has to do with what we eat and how we live, but I won't touch on that. But uh, as far as uh, the greenhouse gases that that cause warming, water vapor by far 95% of that. And if CO2 of the 3.5% CO2 that causes global warming, human people only only produce 0.11% of that 3.9%. The rest is all um, all natural. As far as one of those proposed, the example that I showed was in uh, January 2022, there was an underwater volcano uh, called the Hula Tonga volcano uh, down in the, in the Pacific around the equator. And that put 150 metric tons of water in the atmosphere. And it increased the uh, amount of water vapor in the atmosphere by a factor of 15. Now, that water vapor will fall out of the atmosphere in the form of rainfall over the next several years. But people can see we had an abnormally warm summer. And uh, living in Florida, and I think you'll agree we did. We had a warm summer. But that's the reason for it. And that's science. But you don't hear that. Instead of blaming it on water vapor, they want to blame it on carbon dioxide. Uh, I'm here to tell you it's not carbon dioxide. 
carbon dioxide is very important to sustain life. And as you just mentioned, without it, um, plants, we would have no plant life, which means we'd have no food, which means we'd all starve. That to me fits into their political agenda, which is the earth is overpopulated and they have to depopulate the planet. So if they eliminate our lot of food, then we go back to what the communists have always done, which is starve the people and uh, force depopulation through starvation. So I certainly understand that. Also, I remember way back when uh, Mount St. Helens erupted and we had a summer that we had no sun. So is that a possibility again? How does that happen? Uh, volcanoes. Well, let's take two volcanoes. Let's take the Hulatons of volcano. It's viewed by water vapor into the atmosphere. And the water vapor causes uh, global warming. Not significant. I mean, it's gone up a little bit, but even with all that water vapor, you can see we haven't had catastrophic warming. Now, the other volcano erupted is going to cause a lot of dust into the atmosphere, and the dust is going to block the sunlight. So here's an example of I committed 800 of volcano called Krakatoa. Used a lot of ash into the atmosphere. And it actually snowed in Paris in January. And that's how much was there. And then more recently, uh, we had a volcano eruption in the Philippines, I think, in 1991. And that caused you know, probably a one and a half degree drop in global temperatures that we could actually measure. If you remember back in the 1850s, we weren't keeping temperature records. The only record we have is the snow and the snow in Paris in July. In 1991, we did these records, and we had a global decrease in temperature of about one and a half degrees. The Gulf Penetrable tree, a whole bunch of ash in the, uh, in the upper atmosphere. Volcanoes, natural occurrences, and things like that, do affect the, the climate and the temperature. And you can see from two different ways underwater volcanoes. So I guess we would have a problem with the solar panels if we don't have any sun. I guess that's that fits right into their plan as well. You also mentioned that money has a lot to do with this. How does that work? Why would money have an effect on the weather? Money from China to make decisions in favor of their 
actually go into the uh, wind generator. And it does. So, uh, as we uh, propose to implement one more solar panels and one more wind generators, what do we see? And it's getting all the money. Now, I also read an article about wind generation that Stevens, who makes most of the uh, these, uh, wind generators, is losing money because of the reliability and the repair costs and the warranty costs of these things is phenomenal. Plus, I guess what they're doing to the birds and the fish, they have also found out how bad they are on our environment. So it looks like they are creating another problem which they will need money to solve. And that's the way this this works. Hank, I want to thank you so much for this incredible lesson. And I hope uh, people will share this information. That's what this show is about, folks. You're going to learn something and then you get the opportunity to share it with as many people as you can. Uh, now, as we are beginning to go into the winter solstice, which means it will get cold. We can now hear the flip of how it's going to be the coldest time ever uh, because we have weather extremes. Well, we always have extremes and that has to do with the sun. So maybe in the future, uh, Hank, you can come back and give us a lesson of what the sun has and the effect of the sun on our climate. But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And please uh, tell everyone where they can find you should they have a question. So my PowerPoint has been posted on the Gulf Breeze Patriots website. I think you can, you can find the information uh, about uh, what, what I presented there. I will get that information out to everyone in our show notes. So please look at the show notes. Folks, it is so important that you share, share, share. Knowledge is only the best when you share it with others. If you don't share the knowledge that you have, it's like not knowing it at all. So please share this information understand, stop your kids from being afraid because they're learning the wrong things in school and get them out of those indoctrination clinics called public education, the government schools where they learn absolutely nothing. You can find me by going to my Substack, which is karenshone.substack.com. And also I'm very proud to say that my articles are being carried in News with Views, which is a wonderful paper, uh, online magazine, and phenomenal writers, phenomenal information. Please go and check out News with Views, and also the Miami Independent. Uh, that is a new one that is now going to be carrying my articles. Folks, learning the truth is what is going to save us listening to their lies and buying into what their lies are is not going to do any good for anything. So I want to thank you all for joining me today. And please share, share, share. That's what information is about. That's what information does. And that's how we get over what we have going on. I have two very important messages. One is if you live in the state of Florida, please contact your local state representative and your state senator. 
Bill number 101.5604 is very important because it mandates that we must use the electronic devices to count our votes. Well, how would that work? If you run our votes, our ballots through a tabulator and you get an answer, and then you go back to check that tabulator and run the same papers again, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get the same answer. You have been listening to Karen Schoen, and this is the Prison of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, folks, have a wonderful week, and it has been a pleasure as always, and I will see you again next week.